Friends, we come to the gospel reading for this morning as we continue in our series through the gospel of Matthew. Today we pick up in chapter 5, the entry into the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters worth, worth of preaching. Um, we'll just deal with the first 12 verses today that we have come in the sort of church world to call the Beatitudes. So as we come to this reading, let us pray. Holy and loving God, as the snow falls on us today, allow your Holy Spirit to fall on us, so that these ancient words may be fresh in our hearing, and we may be called evermore to see your kingdom in this place, and to be disciples of it. For it is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Let's listen again for a word from God this day. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts, because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back then, back in the day, Oak Ridge, Tennessee wasn't much to write home about. So much so that that wasn't even the town's name. It was just a nameless plot of land 25 miles outside of Knoxville whose citizens the Census Bureau didn't even bother to count. They were mostly comprised of farmers and shopkeepers, and then there was a a young preacher by the name of Fred Craddock. The little church in that no-name place needed a preacher, and Fred, freshly out of seminary, well, Fred needed a job, so it was a perfect fit. As the years went by, Fred did the things that pastors do. He led them in worship, and he preached, he made phone calls, and he went for visits, he ran meetings, and he oversaw budgets, but then, in 1942, Fred saw an opportunity. Recently, the United States government had come to town, they renamed it Oak Ridge, and there they established a new manufacturing plant for something they were calling the Manhattan Project. This project would initially require 5,000 workers and their families to move to Oak Ridge. History would later recall that the number would then grow to 13,000, eventually topping out at 70,000 people at the height of the project. 
But with this news came an opportunity. Fred realized that his little church had a chance to be a welcoming place for all these new neighbors and a a chance to grow in numbers as well. So after Sunday worship, he called a congregational meeting. Just with the church leaders, though. He didn't want everybody's opinion, just the church leaders. He sat them down and he presented his plans. He talked about new young families and children running up and down the aisle. He talked about choir lofts and pews packed with all kinds of people. Folks from every corner of Anderson County would come to be part of this congregation. When Fred said his piece, he sat down, excited to see where the conversation would lead. And immediately, several leaders began to complain. But, but these folks aren't our kind of people, they said. These are, these are factory workers living in government trailers, and we're, they're just too different from us town folk. The plan to grow the little church failed, and it failed miserably as one vocal leader closed the meeting by making the motion that anyone, anyone wishing to join their church must first own property within the county. The motion passed unanimously. As it turned out, not long after that meeting, Fred found another church that needed a new preacher. Many years later, after several other churches, after an endowed professorship and having been named one of the greatest preachers in the 21st century, Fred Craddock returned to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, after he gave a lecture at the university in neighboring Knoxville. He went back with the great hope of seeing whatever became of his first congregation. As he drove to it, it was unsurprising that after all those years, the countryside had become a little less country. The roads had now been paved. But as he pulled into the church parking lot, Craddock was shocked. The parking lot was packed. And so naturally curious about the crowds, he found a small patch of grass, the only place in the area he parked and walked inside. As he pushed through those old wooden doors like he did so many times before, he found himself surprised again as those rickety pews had been pushed to the walls and replaced with an assortment of tables and chairs. The organ was still there, but it seemed to be collecting dust for the past decade. The pulpit that Craddock had preached some of his earliest sermons in before being named the greatest preacher in the United States was gone. It had been replaced with a flashing neon sign which read, Barbecue, all you can eat. Turned out the Oak Ridge Church had died out years before. Unwilling to change or to try something different, their numbers continued to dwindle until finally there were just three or four people in the pew on Sunday. And that's when a new young couple came to town and offered to buy the building, pews, organs, and all. And they managed to turn that one-time church into a place where people from every walk of life came together to eat the best barbecue in Anderson County. Change is hard. Doing things different is hard. And it's not just in the big things. It's in the small things as well. Today, we read Jesus' introductory comments for his Sermon on the Mount, the 2,500-word, three-chapter-long sermon 
in which Matthew compiles Jesus' most important and most essential teachings, but he begins with these first 12 verses that we've come to know as the Beatitudes. Nine blessings, nine virtues which set the foundation for the kingdom of God. And if you happen to spend any time growing up in the kind of Sunday school classrooms that I did, there's a pretty good chance that at some point in your tenure there, these were nine blessings that if you didn't have memorized, you knew pretty good. Although maybe not in the form that we read them just moments ago. The common English Bible here has made an interpretive choice to use the word happy. While many of us may be more familiar with the Beatitudes which read, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And if at any point in our gospel reading this morning you felt even slightly irritated, maybe just a little annoyed at this change, or you thought to yourself, that's not what my Bible says. That's not how my Sunday school teacher taught it. Well, it turns out, friends, you are in fantastic company. Because as those first three or four disciples gathered around Jesus on the mountainside, I imagine that they too felt slightly irritated and annoyed, whispering to one another, you know, that's not what I learned. The only people who get to inherit kingdoms are the strong and the powerful. The ones allowed to be glad are the wealthy and the secure. People who are humble, they get taken advantage of. Pure-hearted folks, well, they're naive. And peacemakers, don't even get me started, they're just wasting their time. And yet, Jesus says that these are the very things that make the kingdom of God what it is. It's a change in the status quo. It's a choice to do things differently, upending our conventional understanding of power and calling all those of us who choose to be disciples to see life in a completely different way, while also leaving us a bit unsettled. Noted author and preacher Brian Zand says that the Beatitudes are deliberately designed to shock us. If we're not shocked by the Beatitudes, it's only because we have tamed them with a patronizing sentimentality. Too often, the Beatitudes are set aside into the category of nice things that Jesus said that I just don't understand. There's truth in that. We don't fully understand what these declarations of happiness and blessing really mean. Maybe it's because of their ancient context, the way they've been translated over the years, or maybe it's because of the way they challenge the status quo. And so without a a clear-cut Sunday school curriculum to give us the right answers, we have defaulted the Beatitudes into the next best thing. A to-do list. Like a sentimental cross-stitch on my grandmother's wall, they, they hang there reminding us to To be humble and show mercy 
have a pure heart, thirst for righteousness, make peace. And these are just the easy ones. There are those that don't make it on grandma's wall. The ones about being hopeless and grieving and being harassed and insulted and persecuted. Items which don't often make it onto our to-do lists and actions, which quite honestly, I don't even think Jesus is commanding us to do. Because how many times in the story of Scripture do we find a Christ who is healing and consoling, freeing people from harassment and persecution, offering us gifts of humility and mercy and peace without ever asking anything from us in return. In his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Douglas Hare raises the question, if these Beatitudes aren't the spiritual to-do list for eager, rule-keeping disciples, but rather the entrance requirements for those wishing to participate in the kingdom. And if then that is the case, and if these nine blessings are in fact the foundation for the kingdom of God, then who in this world hasn't ever turned on the news and just immediately felt a sense of hopelessness or shed tears while grieving the loss of a loved one or was abruptly humbled by the truth who in this world hasn't hungered and thirst for things to be different than the way they are or shown mercy to a neighbor in need or suddenly had their heart made pure at the sight of a newborn child who among us who in this world hasn't attempted to make peace with family or hasn't been harassed and insulted by others Happy are those, says Jesus. Happy are those who have felt those things. Happy are each and every one of us. And so today I'm wondering if instead of making this just another to-do list for eager rule-following disciples, we can't simply summarize the Beatitudes in this way. Happy are those of us who are members of the kingdom of God and who don't even know it yet. Happy are those of us. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Spirit. Amen.